I'm Nareet Ben. Welcome to Life Deconstructed. So when we left off in the first part of this episode, Daphne Bravo took us through her rise and fall as an executive. But the fall was only on the inside. On the outside, she was the epitome of success, rising through the ranks quickly, making six figures in her 20s, managing $300 million in annual sales. She had a house on the water, a boat, cars, foreign shields. She had also become seriously ill from her lifestyle, and that's when Hurricane Sandy hit and destroyed her new home. Even then, she couldn't process how all the things she'd accomplished, all the so-called success, might actually be wrong. Take us through and, and jump with me to when all of this stuff comes together to finally be like, all right, guys, bye, I'm leaving. So I get pregnant. I, I, wish, I wish I had had a strong moment. I wish I but had that, a But that is, like, that's, I mean, that's what it takes sometimes. You have all of these, I mean, you had all these like slow breaks, right? You had the first slow break of your body starting to come apart. You had a second massive break of Hurricane Sandy, and you still pick yourself back up and and go back. And then the third break, which is actually a beautiful thing, is maybe the the most life-changing thing that any woman goes through. Right. And and the best was I didn't make the decision when I got pregnant. I didn't make the decision when I went on maternity leave. I literally made the decision at the last possible second. Um, So I, I... I have my son Bodhi, and uh, in 2014, in December, and you know it's it's the most incredible thing that has ever happened to me. I, I have to give him credit for being the the reason, right? The reason for all of the change finally. And basically, what happened to me was I give birth to my beautiful son, and I first off, I have a, t- a terrible pregnancy, right? I have tons of pain. I'm physically unable to handle all of the weight gain. I gain. Your body is already in a, in right. a bad state when you my are pregnant. Body, right. Right. So I'm labeled high risk. Um, I'm also, I was also on like anti-anxiety and antidepressive medication when I got pregnant. I make the decision to go off. I decide to wean myself off as the doctor of a daughter. I feel as though I am also a doctor. <laughs> so <laughs> Obviously. I mean, we all do now. We have Dr. Google. It's all you need, I, isn't it? By osmosis, I am, I am a doctor. Um, <laughs> it helps that my father refers to himself as Oz. So... Um, <laughs> And then my name is Daphne. You know, it it definitely helps on all fronts. So anywho, uh, I decide I'm going to wean myself off and I do it safely, right? And I'm fine. And to this day, I've never gone back on any of this medication, but instantly I'm labeled high risk. I have a high risk pregnancy. I have, you know, blood pressure issues. I have, you know, sugar issues during my pregnancy. I, you know, everything that you can imagine. I give birth and I immediately have the postpartum blues immediately. Um, I... I knew it. And what comes out is actually the most important thing. And I thank my lucky stars every day that I was under ther- under the gu- uh, guidance of a therapist the entire time. Um, because yeah, so what important. she was able to pull out of me was basically that I could identify that I was very unhappy. So I, I have to side note, I live very far from my family um, and my husband's family. And so when I gave birth, I was literally in this giant, beautiful house on the water by myself. Another quite a symbol. I mean, come on. All the time, right? Like I have this. Which is the last thing that any woman needs after she gives birth, especially for the first time. And I have this delusion that like 
my house is going to be a revolving door of friends and family. <laughs> and guess what? It wasn't. All right. And I don't, it's just not a criticism to anyone. Everyone has their own life. Um, and it was very important for me to go through that time as painful as it was, because what I realized was that all of this quote unquote success and all of this, these things that I thought were important when it came time, when, when I really, really needed it, like just wasn't there because the decisions that I had made were so superficial and so materialistic that they, they didn't allow me the emotional support and the kinds of relationships that I needed to have fostered in order to feel supported during that time. Uh, all my decisions were based on monetary gain and self-sacrifice. And so here I was with this child and I literally, just a note, I, I really think that's something a lot of people actually are probably going through now with COVID. I mean, the realization that health is all that matters, that relationships, yep. you know, that the things that previously served you when suddenly your world changes so dramatically are just not relevant. And it's such a cliche, you know, but it's true. It's a cliche for a reason. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think, I think cliche is a misnomer in this situation, you know, because yeah. I think it's, like the secret sauce to life that you wake up every day and have the media pound into your head is important, is important. It really doesn't matter. So here I am, everything's been stripped away. My titles don't matter. I'm just a mom and I'm on maternity leave, right? So like I still have the ability to say that I'm, I'm working. I'm still planning on going back, you know, that's still my plan, but I have this mental break where I keep looking at my baby and I literally spend like almost a week solid apologizing to him. And it's the weirdest, most bizarre thing in my life. Um, I've actually never really talked about it. Um, whew, totally emotional. Uh, but I totally felt like I had to apologize to him because I felt lacking. I wasn't happy. I was so unhappy. And so here I am. I bring this baby into the world that didn't choose to come in, right? Like I chose this and I'm like, I'm going to teach you to be a miserable, miserable little soul. That's the only thing I know how to be. I'm not happy. And that was it. That was it. That and was, if, and I it couldn't. Creating somebody, creating life that's outside of yourself, <laughs> but that you're responsible for to really face that. The responsibility. I had never been taught that my happiness was a responsibility. And I did not learn that until Amen. I realized that until I taught this little being that his happiness was his responsibility, I was responsible for his happiness. And even that in a way is, is, is a misnomer, right? From a parent's perspective, but when they're really little, like at least their survival, their survival is their happiness. And so I, I could not imagine a world where what I was going to give was going to be good. Right. I, I all of a sudden started to look at the value and the quality of the kind of care I was able to provide. And I felt consistency that it consistently that it was tainted. It was tainted by this misunderstanding of what should drive my decisions. And it really felt like it was what did this baby care about money? What did this baby care about me managing three hundred million dollars of handbag sales at a yeah. retail department store? Like he was like, Hey, will you smile? <laughs> Pretty basic. Can we start there? And unfortunately, at that point, I had a hard time smiling. And so when literally Macy's knocked down my door and was like, hi, um, remember us? We, your, your maternity leave is up, boo. <laughs> you got to be back. I literally got a call from HR. I had made zero intentional plans to go back. Like my day was there. I had gotten all the paperwork. I signed all the papers. 
And they were like, hey, are you coming? Um, we need to know if you're coming. And I literally over the phone said to them, nope, I'm not coming. Wow. And there was like a, wow. just like a pause. I know that I did not have a conversation with anybody else. I was scared to verbalize the idea that I would, at what felt like at that time, throw away four years of college, nine years of self-sacrifice and climbing up a corporate ladder and a ton of success. It just felt like I was like, like I just, it felt like I was just abandoning a mansion and going out to live like a hobo with a baby. Like it was like, okay, it's just what I'm doing, but don't tell anyone about it. Like This is so important though, because this is, and this is a thing that we've talked about before and you know, that obviously comes up in your future, the things you did, but that we have this notion that if we work towards something for X number of years, however long it is, or our education, whatever it is that prepares us for something that if we don't do the thing that was the natural following product of those things, we've, you know, it was pointless. School was pointless, the education, the work, the time you put in, but all of that contributes not only to your learning what you want and don't want to do and what's good for you and what's not, which is such a you know fundamental lesson in living your life, but it all contributes to what you end up doing in one way or another. It's not a waste. To walk away is not a waste. It's just saying, okay, this is no longer serving me. And for you, I think it's amazing that it comes down after so much you know work building the foundation to get to that point to what ultimately can be so simple, which is just to be like, nope, I'm not coming back. That's it. Just one sentence. Actually, no. And it was really that simple. I can see now that I pretty much agonized over this decision from the moment that I left Macy's. It felt like there was like a, you know, a sand timer just counting down till the second that I had to make a decision what I was doing. And I remember my team, like the day that I left, they all came to my office. They're like, are you coming back? And I was like, absolutely. And I put on this weird song and dance of like, I was really convincing myself. I was like, of course, I would never abandon you. Oh, my God. Like, this baby. Ugh, I'm just going to, like, strap him on my back and keep on journeying. You know? Like, that was, that was like, what I said to people. I can hang handbags on his arm. No worries. God damn it. I wanted to believe it so bad. And then when he came, it was like, breakdown. No. I literally tell my HR rep. I say, no, I'm not coming back, Stephen. Silence on the other side. And his next words are, Daphne, we distribute bonuses tomorrow. Oh. And I said, what do you mean? Like another test. It's like another giant test thrown in your face. And you just had a baby. I mean, a bonus he's, is, is he's like, even more worth more than before. He's like, I can't make life decisions for you. And, and I love that he said that to me because it really put things in perspective. But he said, if you don't come in, I cannot, uh, corporate policy is I cannot issue you your check. He literally said to me, get a babysitter and come in for a day. I'm sure every Macy's corporate person would have like fired him instantly for saying that. But he's like, I went out on maternity, just to give perspective, I went out on maternity leave um, at the end, at the beginning of December. And my bonus was for that year. So I had, yeah, yeah, I, had, I mean, you a hundred percent worked. I worked it. Out for that book. It wasn't like right. It wasn't like I was asking for a handout or I was going in for something I didn't deserve that I had been out on maternity leave or out on you know disaster leave or whatever for. I worked for it and pregnant in my four inch heels, <laughs> and I told him I couldn't come in, and that was it. And I the left ultimate final point on it. And I left in his hands a seven thousand dollar check. Wow. And 
I did not admit to anyone until many, many, many years later that that is actually a decision that I made. It was too painful for me to even almost like acknowledge it, but it was so important for me to spend that money on myself. That was the first investment that I ever made in myself was saying, you can't buy me. Saying no, saying no to money was actually the first investment you made in yourself. So, you know, really this pregnancy dramatically puts everything in your face and this upheaval ends up blossoming into something that I don't think you would ever considered before, paper flowers. And and sorry about the cheesy pun with the blossoming, but you know I had to. <laughs> one, I swear that's it. Uh, yeah, so paper flowers is totally bizarre. People think I have this like long art background and when they hear my story they're kind of like I don't even understand and to this like thank you universe one million times because I don't fully understand and I acknowledge that it's not my job to understand and I'm okay with that Uh, because what happened was that I became kind of like weirdly spiritual religious I mean I so I leave my job I'm at home with this baby and I don't know what to do with myself so I start walking just walking Back to I walk all over my neighborhood. I literally, my son is born in December and by like maybe second week in February, I am hitting the pavement, walking miles a day. I start walking to the supermarket, backpacking back with like groceries, like the supermarket's like a mile and a half away. Like there's no need for me to do these things. I have a car, but I just, I don't know what to do with myself. I have all this energy. I'm used to being go, go, go super hyper responsible and feeling I'm coming out of my skin. I'm not making money. I, I I feel weird. My self-worth is in the toilet. And so I just walk and move. And part of it, you know, rainy days, I start walking malls. And what I start noticing is paper, right? So I start noticing that all of these beautiful displays that I'm drawn to in the windows are made of paper. And then somewhere along the way, I am gifted yoga, so right before my son's first birthday, I am literally gifted yoga. And what I mean by that is my mother-in-law is friends with uh, a woman whose father was a very prominent Maharaja in India. And so I express interest in yoga and I start taking some community, like local community classes at a nonprofit with a friend. And my mother-in-law for my birthday gives me I don't even know what she gave me, like a gift certificate to like training with this woman. But it's hysterical because this woman doesn't really, she doesn't have a school or anything. So I start going to her. She meets me once and she says, you know, let me meet you to make sure that we, we drive. And what ends up happening is I meet this woman and she absolutely is meant to be. We develop this deeply emotional connection where I almost feel like I've been waiting to meet her my whole life. So November through, let's say May, I'm training with her. It starts as like, come in the afternoons, we'll do an hour of yoga. And it turns into her wanting to share with me the ancient practice of yoga and how she was taught to do yoga, which which means meeting her at sunrise, which means traveling an hour to her house to and from, um, to meet somebody at sunrise. Especially with with a baby. Oh, to meet somebody at sunrise with a (laughs) 10-month-old. Um, it means getting up at like three o'clock in the morning. And it was so strange to me how I went from somebody who I was used to working hard. Right. But like, I just was given this opportunity and I literally just took it. I would tell my parents and my parents were like, what, why are you 
at what time? Like, are you okay? <laughs> and like, they had every right to be like that. But what would happen was I would go at sunrise and the first two sessions, the first one was six hours long. <gasps> I stumbled out of that basement. I would come out like, like reborn. I would never have the words to explain to people what had happened because basically I would go into these sessions with this woman and she would break me. Right? She would just break me open. And she would just throw me on the floor, all my spatter, all my soul. And she physically say, and emotionally, physically and emotionally. And like over and over and over again, she would just break me down and break me down to my most basic. And, and, and that's the only way that I can describe it because she would just say things to me like, Oh, my child, you were born with all the worth in the world. And that's all she's ever said to me. And like every time she says it to me, I have to cry because to just know yourself so well and to know your emotions so well to say, I don't need to know anything about you. Like you look important enough. But that's so much of what we are all raised on and not only raised on, but how we all live our lives is that we are defined by what we do. I mean, especially in New York, but I think, I think this is a very U.S. thing, but it's also elsewhere. I mean, other places I've lived, you know, the first question when you meet someone is what do you do? Well, I do this and I work at this place and, you know, whatever brand name you can work in. And we are like, that is our only obvious and natural answer to questions and to get used to, you know, I know also for myself and changes I've made in my own life to get used to answering, not with, this is my role. This is where I work. This is what I make. uh, This is what I've achieved is, is really weird. You know, it's not natural to a lot of us. Right. In Weird in a good way. Let me be clear. <laughs> oh my God. But, but in the U S you're right. Like what's the first question? What do you do? So this one tears me apart, right? Breaks me down to like basically my skin and bones and now I'm still walking the mall. And so what she teaches me is that nothing is an accident. Right. And that it's just our perception that things that don't make sense and can't be categorized are therefore not useful. That's an important one. So she teaches me this and paper is pounding on my door. And I, my son's first birthday passes. I make these centerpieces out of mostly paper, right? I'm already playing with paper. And then in February-ish, I literally see a paper flower display at Anthropology in the window. And I'm so stricken that I start looking online and I realize that there's like a whole community of people doing this. And so I'm like, oh my God, this is a thing. Like I, I can do this. I can do this. I go and I buy some paper literally that night. I can't, I I can't go to sleep. I stay up till like two in the morning and I just, I'm trying to make paper flowers and I figure out, I figure it out. Right. Like I, I reverse engineer it, figure it out. I make like 14 paper flowers by the morning. And I remember Scott, my husband's like, that's adorable. <laughs> he wakes you. up to find you disheveled, no sleep in a pile of you. paper flowers. Right. Like, Oh, oh this is so cute. Like, Oh, I yeah. love it. What a nice hobby. I love this. Whatever gets you through it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just so, just so smitten with these paper flowers and I just can't wrap my arms as to why, why any of this is happening, but I'm so grateful because it's making me so happy and it's the first thing in like a year that like feels like I'm doing something. So I decide I'm going to make paper flowers and I'm just going to like leave them for people. I left my first paper flower and I just kind of, I had started an Instagram account at that point because I had done a lot of like crafting stuff because, you know, that's what I loved. And so I was posting some things and I decided, I was like, hey, look, I started making paper flowers. I'm going to do something and I'm calling it a hundred days of giving. I'm going to leave flowers for a hundred days. 
And every day I would make, wake up, I would make a paper flower and I would literally learn, right? So I'm practicing, I'm building my skills. I, I don't think about it like that then, but I'm trying so at to this technique. point, I mean, just to sort of put the point on it, you have followed all kinds of natural instincts that are just totally basic, but don't have some sort of quote unquote end goal or reason. You're walking a lot to feel better physically, yeah. but not really with the goal of that, just because you feel like, okay, I need, I just need to walk. No. You yeah. start yoga that is, you know, this whole transformational thing for you. And you just yeah. notice what you're drawn to. I'm drawn to paper. I mean, how weird is that? Oh, wait, there's paper. I'm drawn to that. I'll make it. It makes me happy. You identify that it makes you happy. And then you give it away. You're not saying, okay, well, so what's the point of this? Do I sell it? How do I make money off of it? Is this a joke? Is this a hobby? You're just right. making something you love that makes you happy. And then you put it out into the world. Yeah. And I, you know, I start, I've always been somebody who likes writing. So I start writing a lot and I realize that every day I'm writing anyways. And I find that these flowers kind of like, well, however I'm feeling in a day is very much translated into what comes to me to make as far as a flower, whether it's a paper that I choose or the kind of flower that I want to make that day or whether I'm feeling lazy or whatever it is. So I start writing along with it and I decide I'm going to share my writings, right? Like, Hey, this random flower isn't an accident. I'm not trying to sell you something like here, take it. And by the way, you know, I hope you're having a great day. So it starts kind of like that. And then, and then there are days that I feel weak and that it takes a lot out of me to make these flowers. And I start feeling like, you know what, today I want to offer you strength because I didn't feel very strong today. And then you give then what start, you need. So I start giving away what I need and I start writing these almost love letters to strangers and telling them how much I adore them and how much I appreciate them because I know that they're important because if they found my flower, then there's a reason that they found my flower. And I start just kind of developing my own way of thinking about this. And the clearer I get on the intentions that I put in the flowers, what starts happening is that, so I'm signing my flowers, my, I'm signing these notes. And because I don't really want to sign it with my name, I just start signing it with my Instagram handle and people are finding me, right? I'm not like my, my notes are, I don't have a business card. You know, these are they're actually thank you notes. Like what am I thanking them for? They're thank you notes like that I had in a box. And so I just, it just kind of develops. I, I know that sounds strange, but it just, every day there was kind of a little something added to it. And at the end of a hundred days, I had orders. I had people who were like, I want a backdrop. I want some flowers for my nursery. I've never seen this. I had a photographer. One of my first jobs, a photographer was like, hey, you want to do Easter flowers for me? You want to do Mother's Day flowers? I started this April 1st. Easter's like at the end of the month. Everything just kind of unfolded and flowed out of me like water. Which is ideally how it should be. I mean, not that it's always like that. Even if you're doing the best thing ever that is 100% for you, nothing ever just flows 100% of the time. It's always going to be tough stuff too. But you know, that's, I think, what we all strive for is to do something where we feel like not every part of the way is this, you know, fighting against something, but it's just, it's flowing. Right. So things kind of, the, the strangeness of the events just continues and it just flows in a very meant to be way. And it's never, it's, it's never perfect, right? Like I, I'm still a mom with, yeah. no, with no support. With no right? child care. With no child care. Family I, I, close by. Right. So, so support is the wrong word. My, my husband is very, very supportive and I've always had a supportive family, but I don't have anybody physically there, right? My husband works long yeah, hours. He's also city. working. I mean, he's still very successful, right? His job is more important than ever, right? So it's literally our livelihood. I'm making paper flowers. I'm not making money. I'm not yeah. making actual paper. Uh, so <laughs> ironically, right? So Diwali Festival, I know this. 
October 30th, 2016. It is the anniversary of Sandy. My guru has invited me to her Diwali festival with her community, her Indian festival of lights, ironically, right? Um, And I get invited to their place of worship. Then I get invited to the worship leader's home and into their private place of worship, room of worship. And I'm I'm blessed with the gift and the experience of being able to pray with these deeply spiritual people. This is such a pivotal moment for me because when I'm leaving this incredible family's home, they speak to me of their only son, Jay. And they speak so fondly of him and about all of his accomplishments. And he is in business school in Chicago. And they're so proud of him. He's getting his MBA. And he's such a successful boy. And they mention his portrait on the wall. And I look up. Jay had been my planner counterpart at Macy's. Okay? So I'm actually getting chills even telling you the story. And I I yelped at this woman. His mother was speaking to me. Okay? We're on a festival holiday. He's unable to be there because he's in Chicago. He left Macy's to go to business school. And I'm looking at his portrait on the wall and... All I managed to get out was, I know that man. And like, you know, these people are like, what? The white girl said something. What, like, what happened to her? And they're like, what do you mean? And I have tears streaming down my face. And I'm like, I know this man. I worked with this man. And I know this man very well. I'm like, his name is Jay Vora. And, and I just start like spouting out things about him. And they're like, yeah, he's our son. We know who he is. I'm like, no, but it's important for me to establish that he was an actual important part of my my journey at Macy's. So full circle for me was, I'm not in the wrong place. All of this change. I didn't of, make the wrong decisions. I didn't make the wrong decisions. And, and I think that the lens of yoga offered me the validity, the system by which to finally see my life experience as something valid and not something to be mm-hmm. validated. And which is so fundamental for all of us that really the truth is, which is obviously much, much easier said than done, is that we all can validate our own lives. We can all validate our own decisions. Like you are the only thing that is necessary to validate if you made a decision that people don't understand or that's not popular or that goes against things that seem you know, like the quote unquote, right thing, smart thing to do. You're, you're the only person that needs to validate that and say, that's a hundred percent right. That's what I'm doing. That's what's right for me. It's just that, you know, it doesn't always come that easily, obviously. And it takes us often a long road to get there. Yeah. I mean, the, the barometer is really how it feels right now. Feelings have to be passed through a lot of filters, right? Because in today's society, feelings are, you know, I don't feel good enough because I don't look like a Maybelline model. Well, that feeling is not your feeling, you know, that that's a feeling you've internalized, but apart from the feeling work that must be done. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, Day, your body, your your temple, the way you react to something is the only thing that matters. There is no scale that, that has to be put through. But to believe that, you first have to believe that what you are put here to do has no name and cannot be named by anyone but you. You know, and and that concept is something that I learned through yoga, right? I, I like to say that yoga became my religion, but at the end of the day, yoga never asked me to give up my religion to believe what it taught me. And I think that was what was most important for me was that coming to the realization that everything that I had done up until that point 
was not invalid. It was actually super valid um, and, and brought me to the point of realization. And could I have gotten there sooner? Could I have stumbled less? Maybe. Yeah, but that wasn't your path. It didn't matter. It took, right. it took, you know, what it took to get you there. Right. But and not only are they valid decisions, but at this point you are so much more, so much healthier physically, mentally, and emotionally. I mean, it's like a night and day right. from back when you were quote unquote super successful in, oh in your God. four inch gorgeous heels so, with so the gorgeous band, handbag. Oh my God. So here I am like a Birkenstock wearing, like I don't wash my hair anymore. Like um, I got to say your hair I, looks great though. No, oh, thanks. I mean, great. Uh, but you know, literally lost a hundred pounds from, so when I left Macy's, uh, which I know I was pregnant, but I was about 220 pounds and over this journey and up until this moment, um, I, I had naturally and really without a lot of effort lost a hundred pounds and I was, you know, healthier than I had ever been in my entire life. And like you said, this is, this all kind of just unfolded by me listening and, and accepting what was as opposed to trying to manipulate everything into what I thought it should be. And so paper flowers just continue to flow and blossom and grow out of all, all, all the puns, out of all the puns in, in December. <laughs> They're so good though. They're so right for this. You just can't, you can't not use them. So October, end of October, Diwali happens. Middle of December, I go to my, I'm in my first craft fair and the guy across the table from me is starting a store. And by the end of the fair, he asked me to be in his store and I'm still at that store today, Hitch. It's now, a, it started as a mobile boutique in a, in a trailer and it is now a brick and mortar in ironically the village I live in. So I didn't live in this town at that time and neither did this man. So now we both live in this town, right? Now we both live in this village and I, I'm in his store. Um, fast forward, uh, you know, a year later, I'm at the Philadelphia flower show doing a wall installation and a bar cart for, for kettle one botanicals. Everything just flowed. Like it was opportunity after opportunity. And how, did I struggle? Sure I did. Like, yeah, yeah. No, no, That's no. The, I mean, that was the thing I was thinking of is people need to know that it's not like, okay, so I found my thing and everything's all roses all the time. Sorry for another pun, not intentional this time, <laughs> but you're raising two little kids at the same time with very little to no help. So what it ain't glamorous. Right. So what becomes most important to me is I really sink into yoga. Yoga becomes my anchor. Um, it becomes literally reading the Bhagavad Gita becomes like my, my new Bible. Um, you know, reading, reading the stories of, of fighting your own insecurities, reading the stories of, of doing what's right. Um, of, you know, following through on my commitments, you know, to raising my two children the way that I feel is fit, right? It really becomes a balancing act of my personal growth, my, my spiritual growth, my emotional growth, my business growth with the kind of human mother, parent I want to be and raise, right? So it becomes an everyday balancing that. And yoga really becomes the lens through which I'm able to do that. Balancing my responsibility with my desires. My desire is being to grow myself personally. My responsibility being I have a house to maintain, a husband that deserves to be fed after working a long day. And, and that's, that's something that I take, right? Like some women are like, you know, your, your responsibility to feed yourself is your own. And that's fine. Like I have come to terms, I've developed a very strong, you know, belief system. And I think that that's important for all of us, right? Like what is important? The values by which you want to live. Right. And so many people look externally for that to happen. But for me, it's important to, you know, teach my kids that I can be a successful mom, 
a good mom, a happy mom, uh, a healthy human mentally, physically, um, because I think it's important for them to see that example and what that looks like and what that takes, mm-hmm. right? Because it's work. And also be a contributor. What I found was in Paper Flowers, what I found was the perfect union where I'm able to take care of my spiritual needs by making flowers, right? They, I, they fill me in, in a spiritual way. I definitely, um, I like using my hands. I like creating. And so uh, creating a business out of something that brings me so much personal satisfaction has really been the perfect marriage for me and what I want to teach my kids. And I think that's what ended up happening was once I got clear, uh, once I became a mom and got really clear on what I wanted my kids to learn, I was able to reverse engineer the kind of person I needed to yeah. be to teach that. This is so important. And um, one thing I really want to to highlight, because it's something I think about a lot, because I think as women, we are often either scared into the notion or just we have it, you know, hovering above us that having kids could derail our, our careers, that it's either or that, you know, that th- these are sort of impossible choices that, uh, you know, or sacrifices that we're going to have to make. And certainly, of course, it changes your life and their sacrifices, all of that. But your path shows how having kids can also push you to quite literally be reborn yourself. I mean, to reevaluate and make moves that you wouldn't be able to see before. Thank you. And and I think that I think that the issue is that we're always looking for a structure within which we fit, like right, a mold. Yeah. Right, we're always looking for somebody to show us how it needs to be done. And that's because as you know, I hate to say it, but as women, I, I feel like we're unfairly taught that we need to be worthy. We need to act a certain way. We need to do a certain thing to be worthy. That keeping ourselves pure, that keeping ourselves intelligent, that keeping ourselves safe, that, you know, somehow that we're innately weaker, that we have to innately be more protected and that that innately makes us maybe less powerful and less strong. And I think that that's, I don't think our parents intend to teach us that, but I think that because of the uh, femininity is not in many cultures seen as a strength. It's, it's not, but that intuition is what I had to relearn, right? And you discovered that though, in the, the most feminine of all things, which is childbirth and motherhood. Exactly. Because the issue and the finding your strength is not in adding, but it's in taking away It's not in building the strength. It's in realizing that you don't have to. It's in realizing that you are it. You are it the day you are born. Because if not, you're not born. And if you're not worthy to take on this journey, life mysteriously takes you away. That's what has brought me to to this place of, you know, if if these decisions don't work, if ever I make a move that, you know, is not fruitful, it wasn't meant to be. So what, what can I take from that? Right. What, what, what strength can I pull from that? What learning is yeah, there? It wasn't wrong. It was just a, a notch along the way. It was a learning right. experience. Right. I'm going to let you go in, in shortly because you do have two children and two businesses. Oh, yeah. I'm very aware yeah. of that. <laughs> Minor <laughs> details. Um, but I do, before I let you go, just want you to, to give us a brief on moguls of infinite opportunity, which is really what came out of everything we've just talked about, this whole new thing that has been born that I really think ties together so much of what you've been talking about. Yeah. So moguls in, in the way that that everything beautiful has happened in my life, it just kind of happened. So I met Jess, um, my business partner, in November of 2019 at a local female entrepreneurship networking uh, event. And she literally complimented my earrings and we started talking and 
we parted ways. That was it. We had a nice conversation. She seemed like a good human. Uh, so that's at the beginning of the month. At the end of the month, I am sitting at my son's uh, school at a Thanksgiving day performance. Um, I just have to note, my son goes to a fully immersive uh, Spanish language school, really small school, total attendance of like 20 kids. Amazing. Um, but I have to say that because sitting in front of me, in the row in front of me, is Jess and her ex-husband. <laughs> totally random. But at that point, we end up exchanging phone numbers. Right. N- not random at all, right? Totally meant to be. We exchange uh, phone numbers and that's it. We kind of just become mommy friends. Happens to be that like two days before uh, COVID quarantine happens in New York, another one of these entrepreneurship networking events happens. So it's the second one after the first one I met her at. And this one I've been asked to speak at. So I am one of three speakers at this event. And literally the night before, I don't know what made me do it. I messaged her and I was like, hey, you're going to be there tomorrow. I was feeling really nervous. And I was kind of like, it would be good to see a friendly face in the crowd. And she says, no, she says she's not able to make it. She's like, oh, I'm so she's a life coach. So she was like, I have a previously scheduled meeting. I'm so sorry. I can't make it. She's like, best of luck. She ends up showing up. She ends up rescheduling her whole night and ends up showing up. And so I'm really touched by that. And she hears my story. And at the end of it, she goes, oh my God, I started my business on a hundred days of giving campaign. I'm like, no, you didn't like, no, you didn't. And so she had, when she explained this to me, it just stuck in my head. We go into quarantine. We have a lot of time to think. And I start (laughs) having these dreams that Jess and I are doing, like that we're sharing this with people, right? That like there's power in numbers, there's power in multiple people having the same experience and having the same results, right? She lives off of her now life coaching business. And so we start, I, I asked her if she would be willing to kind of come up with a webinar to teach with me. And she says, yes. And we start having these 6am sessions, these mastermind sessions where we just stream of consciousness starts talking. And after a few months of quarantine, what started as the idea of a webinar turned into, this is a whole philosophy and women need to know about this. And women need to understand that there's a way to give without sacrificing. And that when you give without sacrificing and that you honor the infinite potential and the infinite opportunity in the universe, that that shift in mindset for women is what brings us back to our power. And what a massive, unbelievable full circle that is from where we started this conversation, which was actually even as you as as a kid about giving in a way that was over the top and unhealthy and born out of a sort of thinking of what it is, what your responsibility is and how your worth is created to then forming this community of and for women that's all about giving the right way and how actually that can be the life source. It's just a, a very different form than what we're maybe taught to do our, our whole lives. So tell, tell everybody where, I mean, where can they find out more? Moguls of Infinite Opportunity. Uh, right now, we are a free Facebook community. Uh, so you can find us there at uh, Moguls of Infinite Opportunity, or Mio for short. You'll see us referred to, um, as well as on Instagram. And we are shortly launching a free directory for women to basically connect with other women who subscribe to this philosophy in their businesses, as well as in their daily lives, and kind of showing people that if if we can all give in this way and, and share these learnings with each other and empower each other in this way that is natural, right? W- women are natural givers. We, we really are. We're, 
Yeah, we are sure. the, the chosen sex to bring forth the humans. We are, we care <laughs> in the way that we care through yeah, sacrifice, you know, true. like we sacrifice our physical bodies to bring forth the next generation. But that put through the wrong lens leaves you depleted and leaves you an unworthy thing to be used, an unworthy tool to be utilized. And that's could not be farther from the truth. So bringing women together to teach them that that's not the case, women, bring women together to show them that their giving and their caring nature is actually their power and their strength and showing them how to do that by supporting each other. And that's, you know, strength in numbers. The more we believe yeah. that, the more we understand that. It's, it's so important because, I mean, it sounds obvious, supporting each other and it's like this kind of kumbaya thing. But how important is that? Because not only is it for people, you know, women who are just starting out super early in their lives and careers or, you know, in college, in your first job, uh, you know, a successful or corporate person with a bunch of kids or a stay-at-home mom, whatever it is. We all need community. We all need to talk to people who are going through it and help each other. And I think, honestly, the older we get, often finding that kind of community just gets harder. You know, our challenges get harder with kids, with work, with all the, you know, extra responsibilities that life takes on. And it gets harder to find that kind of community. So I think it's so beautiful what you're doing and so important. So I really encourage people to look into it. And, you know, I've watched this path that you've taken, which, you know, like I like to say is not just like a linear point A to point B to point C that, you know, you just go through the motions in advance. It's ups and downs. It's a zigzag, you know, brought you to just this beautiful place that is not an instant, you know, overnight thing. It's a process that I think we can learn so much from. Um, and obviously there's lots more to come. So thank you so much, Steph. Thank for you so much. This time. Thank you for giving me a place to to share my authentic forward stumble. I love that. Thank you for giving me a platform to share with people what this path really looks like in being an authentic happy person and knowing that 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 doesn't look like that doesn't have to look like anything, right? It it, it has to look like whatever makes you the most full. Thanks so much for listening. And if you want to hear more, don't forget to subscribe and to send us your thoughts, questions that you want answered or women you'd like to hear from on Twitter at Nareet Ben or Instagram at Life Deconstructed Pod. And hold on, here's a peek at next week's episode. Emmy Award-winning journalist Yaella V on how her life path was forever changed by her sister smoking a joint, why she had to pull herself away from chasing bullets, and how having kids gave a fearless war reporter more courage than she ever had before. And you're speaking to somebody who was at Saddam's bloody hole, okay? I don't care how it sounds, but I'm going to say it. The fact that my body could create another human being blew me away. I'm Nuri Ben. We'll see you next week on Life Deconstructed.